Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out that company, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-hosts today are Brad and Kerry Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to check out their company, visit MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Our guest today is Mike Keys, Keys Outdoors. Mike's been kind of traveling all around this season, and we're going to get a little bit of lowdown on how that's going, because I know early season I was seeing quite a few pictures from from Mike and things were going really well. Mike, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule today. How are things going? Uh, good, good. Actually, um, I think this heat has finally broke, and uh, that was a big factor on why things slowed down for us. Yeah, I think it probably was a big factor for a lot of guys. I know, you know, most of the hardcores that I talked to were all off the water. Most of the guide friends I talked to, they were off the water too. But why don't we talk a little bit about early season? What was what was going on? Because quite honestly, I think, you know, people are going to see in your show this, uh, this you know, winter or whatever in January when you start airing them, how, how good you guys did because it sounded like things were really good. They were. We we started out, you know, very good. Had a lot of big fish. It was uh, some really nice fish. Our biggest one was 52 and a half, but a lot of that mid-40 to upper-40 fish, you know, landed in our bag. You know, it just, I think what a, what a lot of it had to do with it is um, it was actually a spring that we haven't had in a long time where it was a gradual warm-up, and then, you know, and that's what helped is... Um, we actually um, looked at some new spots that, uh, you know, we, we've done our homework on, you know, went over there. And uh, the first week we actually went over to a system and uh, we seen a lot of males right away. We knew that the big, the females weren't there yet. So we kind of pulled out of that chute and went somewhere else, did very good, um, and then came back two weeks later had just a phenomenal show. So, you know, the males will come in first, lay out their territory, and then the females will follow. So it was just timing, really. And, you know, isn't that one of the major things of muskie fishing is all about timing? That's for sure, hands down, Mike. You know, I mean, here's the deal. There's timing throughout the day. There's timing throughout the week, throughout the month. And, you know, if you put all those pieces of the puzzle together, that's definitely going to help you. Yep, exactly. So, Mike, I know a couple of weeks ago we had Jeff Schulte on from Phantom Lures, and I was just giving him a hard time asking him if they pay you extra to only throw phantoms because that seemed to be a big key in the last couple seasons. <laughs> so how much extra do they pay you to only throw phantoms? What they do is uh, the deal that I worked out with them is I really love chicken. So <laughs> they uh, bought me a bunch of quick trip uh, gas cards that I could get all the chicken I want anytime I want. And, you know, that was good enough for me. But, yeah, no, there, the, the glide baits, you know, Phantom makes a phenomenal product, as all of my manufacturers do. You know, I've been doing this. This is my 21st year going into this year. And, you know, I, I've always been amazed on the lures that consistently year in and year out produce for us. And I'm proud to say that I work with, like Mayhem, Innovation, Phantom Lures. These are these are companies that uh, are just time-tested. They just, uh, they work. They're fish-catching lures. And Jeff added with your super colors on it, it just uh, gives us that advantage that we're always looking for, something a little bit different 
And I'll give you a perfect scenario of that. Last week we were fishing in northern Wisconsin, and blades have been really tough for us. We've only got one fish on blades, but that's all starting to turn now. But it's been glide baits, it's been rubber, and it's been top water for us. And um, a bait I, you know, was looking at Brian, and I said, you know, we we're fishing uh, shallow weeds, and the the fish were tucked in there. We could see them on the grass, the side imaging. But we just couldn't get him to react. And, you know, first thing I said to Brian is because it's his water up there is I said, do they like big baits up here? And he says, Mike, it's a rubber. It's it's big bait rubber water that we're throwing. I looked at my box and a very underrated uh, lure that just doesn't get a lot of attention and is uh, the big shallow magnum shallow invader by Muskie Innovations. And I put that on and just started twitching over the weed tops and had probably one of the most exciting hits uh, of the year. I mean, that thing literally smoked that bait and came four feet out of the water with a T-bone right in his mouth. So, again, it's utilizing what's in your toolbox and thinking, you know, first thing I do, guys, like I, I was just telling you guys before we started the podcast that I was over on the Bay of Green Bay. 15 boats on one piece of structure. First thing I did is I watched what everybody was throwing. And then I went totally the opposite. Now, did it pay off for me? It didn't on that trip, but I only fished it for, you know, one evening. But again, it's looking when you're fishing pressured water, see what the other guys are throwing and try to throw something different. You know, that's key to it too, is uh, trying to give those fish a look that they haven't seen. Well, hands down, Mike, you know, that's one of the things that I try to do, too. Everybody talks small baits in the spring, and, of course, I, I'm a big bait guy, and I like big baits, and a lot of times I'm going to use that big bait when everybody else is going small. I mean, standing out and being different can really make the change. Yes, no doubt. And so it's just, you know, utilizing what's in there, you know, um, in your toolbox and, and trying it all. One of the things that I will say about Brian Schaefer is when I fish with him is that guy changes up baits more more than anybody, and it's paid off for him. He'll throw a bait for maybe a half an hour, and if that doesn't work, he may try a different color or he may try a different bait. So switching things up, and you've heard us say this, and we all know this, guys, that we're going to let the fish tell us what they want. And, you know, it sounds very simplistic, but it's so true. It's, you know, one guy's doing a search bait. We're just trying to figure out what is going to get their attention. Now, once we get those follows and we get a reaction out of them and they're not eating, then it may be, okay, we know the presentation that is moving these fish, but why aren't they eating it? Then it becomes a color thing and it becomes a size thing. Maybe we need to downsize. Maybe we need to go bigger. Maybe we need to try a different color. But once we put that first piece of the puzzle together, as far as getting those fish to react, then it's just fine-tuning it to get them to eat. Well, so Brad, Brad and Mike, I'll kind of ask you both a question. So for the newer guy that's, that's listening, he said, you know, he hears it on the podcast pretty frequently. Let the fish tell you what, to, you know, what they want or what they want to eat or, or whatever, what they're doing that day. So I, I guess it kind of goes back to our patterning thing that we've talked about multiple times on the podcast. Like how long should one person hang on a certain bait before they switch? You know, for, I'll, I'll ask the question to either one of you two, because 
for a newer angler deciding when to make those decisions, that's the toughest part. Like, do they hang on that bucktail for four hours? Do they hang on it for, you know, six hours before the fish don't tell you what to do? Do either one of you two have a general rule of thumb that you use for how long you're going to hang on a certain pattern before you switch it up? So really, Jeff, what what it's about for me is being a guide, you know, I'm in the back of the boat and I'm going to use or I'm going to let my clients use in the front spot basically the bait that performed in the last couple days. And they're going to stick with that bait until something else happens. Myself in the back, I'm going to be experimenting and trying different things and trying to put something else together. And once that's shown, guess what? I'm going to pull that off and I'm going to share it with my clients. So that's the way I kind of look at things. I definitely will keep using the bait that has performed last, meaning either yesterday or the day before or even maybe that same day. But that bait isn't coming off until I see something really radically change. And, and the changing can be done by me. I want my clients to be able to, to have confidence that the bait caught in the last day or two. And that's kind of how I manage it. I, yeah, I would have to agree 100% with Brad is if you've got a lure that is moving fish, that lure stays on or catching fish that stays on. And then the guy in the back of the boat or the guy that, you know, is in the back and he's moving the fish, that lure is going to stay on. And if they're not eating, then it's just saying, okay, well, we're getting a reaction out of this lure. Again, now we're going to start playing with size. We're going to start playing with speed. We're going to start playing with uh, color. We're, we're going to say that they're, you know, they're, they're moving, they're reacting to this, but they're not eating it. What do we need to do? And a lot of times it can be speed. Another thing that we do, and Jeff, to answer your question, is what we do is we are so blessed now with side imaging and where we've gone with our electronics. And we literally can see these fish. And when we see these fish and they're not reacting to our lure, I mean, you've got a factor now that you've never had before is that electronics. So what we'll do is we'll pull up on a weed bed and we may run it without throwing a lure and just side image it to see if we can see if there's fish there. Then if there's fish there, we'll turn the boat around and we'll come back. And then that's when we start playing with our lures. But uh, Like I said, Brian Schaefer is, and I've fished in my career with tons of fishermen, and nobody changes it up more than he does. I kind of leave things ride a little bit longer, but what I'll do is if I know that there's fish there and we make a pass through and we're not moving anything, then, you know, we'll look at the windows. Okay, is it a window thing? You know, do we got a major? Do we got a minor? Whatever. A wind change anything like that, then what we'll do is uh, I usually run it for about an hour. If I know that there's fish there and we work the whole piece of structure and I haven't moved it on that particular lure or bait, then when we come back again to it, I'm going to mix it up and try something different. But uh, as a rule of thumb, Brian is always changing. Uh, I mean, you, you look at his bait pile laying in the boat at times. I'm like, dude, are you serious? I, you threw literally everything. You know, and you'll look at my pile and I'll have like maybe three baits. But again, using your electronics and seeing if those fish are there is a big deal because now you have the confidence that they're there. Now it's just a matter of fine tuning it on what they're going to, um, what they're going to react to. And we all know this too. I mean, this is the most frustrating 
there's times where I don't care what you throw. They're just not going to react. It's just, it's something, I call it something in the atmosphere that uh, these fish just aren't going to bite. And one of the things that we've done very early this year and has been very successful for us is, and we talk about it, is being mobile. In other words, it ain't happening on this lake. We fished it for a half a day. Um, we're seeing fish, but they're not moving. We get the hell out of there, and we just go to a different lake. That has paid off big for us. So, you know, don't be afraid to move either. There's just times where that lake is just off, and you hear it all the time. You see it in the PMTTs where, you know, we'll be fishing a chain of lakes like Eagle River, and, you know, three lakes are just nothing, and then all the fish came out of one lake. So, you know, be mobile, too. Don't be afraid to pick up and go someplace else. Jeff, what do you do? I fish by myself a lot, and I probably stick to a pattern for way too long, I'm guessing. I I, I think I've said it before. Like, I fish a lot where I'll work a piece of structure with one style, much like Mike would say, and then if I don't move anything or see anything, then I'll probably go to a different piece of structure, keeping the same presentation on. And then, you know, if I work probably, I would say, like, three three spots if I don't see anything or catch anything, especially if it's been on a body of water that I've fished plenty, then I'll finally probably change my presentation. Generally, like you said, it's going to probably be speed is going to probably be the first thing I'm going to do. Like if I'm throwing a bucktail, then I'm probably going to go to something like a dive and rise, a suic or a bobby, something like that. Or I'm going to go to rubber. It's typically those, like those are the three presentations I use the most. I love top water baits, but I don't, I don't throw them a ton. I'm more of a, you know, a, a rubber, a bucktail, or um, some sort of dive and rise type type uh, presentation. And then if I'm still not seeing anything, you know, if I went to a dive and rise, then I'm for sure going back to rubber. And by then, if I haven't seen or caught anything, that's probably going to either do like Mike did, and then I'm just going to switch lakes because up by me, there's a ton of them, so I can kind of jump around a lot. I'm not real, you know, not real stuck there. There's eight of them that I can fish right within half an hour of my camper. So it's, you can kind of jump around a little bit and sometimes, right. and sometimes then if I don't, I mean, if I want to stay on the same lake, I will have a trolling rod with me frequently. And sometimes I'll do, you know, not exactly what Mike did, but I'll actually drive around and I'll see if I'm marking bait fish out deeper. I don't have the same thermocline issues that you guys do. Cause most of the lakes that I'm fishing are probably less than 30 feet of water for sure. They're, I would say the majority of them are probably top out at 20 to 25. Maybe there's a couple small spots that are 30, but not much. So I'm fine with trying to, you know, trolling too. And then I can kind of see what's going on that way too, just to give myself, you know, kind of another perspective on it. And that way I've still got something in the water and I'm still trying to figure out a couple, you know, a couple patterns. Cause maybe, it, maybe it's out deeper. Maybe it's not, you know, weed lines and shallow. Maybe I got to be bumped out. So that's kind of my, my process. It's a little bit different. Cause like I said, I fish, I fish, especially if I'm up North, I fish by myself quite a bit lately. My daughter's been wanting to fish with me more. So that helps me too. Cause then I can much like Brad would do. Like if I feel like there's a certain presentation that's working, I'll have her throwing it. I know last, uh, last fall in particular, like I literally kept handing her baits because I kept catching them. I was in the middle working. Uh, she was up front and I kept catching fish and you know, it was just kind of one of those things. So I literally would take my bait off every time I caught, I caught one and I would hand it to her. And then of course the pattern would switch or whatever, but 
that's kind of how I've been rolling. Like the person with the hot hand or the hot bait should be up front and I try to give it to her as much as possible. Cause quite honestly, when I'm fishing with her, I don't want to catch anything. Well, one of the things too, to consider is that, you know, when things are tough, go to your confidence baits, go to your baits that you have caught a ton of fish on and that you have that presentation in your head that, Hey, this is my confidence bait. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to work it. And usually something will come about, you know, a lot of times it's about cadence. It isn't necessarily about what it is that you're throwing. Sometimes when you have the right cadence and it sounds like that's what you kind of had, Jeff, you know, you, you had the right cadence with whatever you were working and, and those fish were eating it. So you gotta, you gotta look at all of the different pieces to the puzzle and you definitely, um, some people have a hot hand one day and the next day they can't buy a fish. So you know, it's it's all about those different things. I've been mostly on the can't buy a fish all season long. And if I buy one, it's pr- pretty small. So for me in particular, it's been a rough season. But I also haven't fished nearly as much as I did last year. Much like everybody else, I took most of July off. I mean, I went a little bit last week and it was more of a mission to try to get some certain footage on underwater footage on baits and stuff. But we were still, you know, trying to catch fish and we had a couple opportunities, but I had nothing, but prior to that, I don't even think, I think the last time I had fished was probably like, I don't know, sometime in late June. So it's been a while, but it's been a tougher season for me. Hopefully I'm, I'm waiting for this heat to be all done and I can get out and try to remedy the second half of my season. Cause the first half, it's not been great. It's been a tough year, man. It's been, you know, things, things are going to change. It, it, it definitely, the weather is now, uh, I think getting where we need it to be. I'm going to head out tomorrow and we'll see. I mean, I'm going to go hit some Northern lakes that, um, I fished in the past and, you know, um, they don't get a lot of attention and, you know, I, I want to get over to green Bay, but you know, it just as big as that body of water is that fish is very small. One of the shows that we did this year is, uh, and people will see it, is a lot of the tributaries that feed into Green Bay, these, you know, they've been stocking and releasing these fish in those tributaries. But one of the things that we've discovered over the last couple of years over there is that not all of these fish are going up into the rivers. This is a prime example. We uh, found a spot, a tributary that feeds in, and we worked on the lake the edges going in it was surprising we got that 52 and a half and a 47 and a half and they were clean so were those fish staging to go up the river or are they using the shallow sand adjacent to these rivers to do their spawning as well and i would have to say at this point i think that there's a lot of spawning that goes on the lake that a lot of people are not you know taking that opportunity to explore and it paid off for us big. Well, Mike, you talked about, you know, a little bit about pressure in various areas. So we can talk about maybe a couple of your adventures. But the one thing I have to wonder about now with Canada being closed for the foreseeable future, I mean, how much more pressure is Green Bay going to see this year? And I, I got to wonder, I'm just wondering out loud, like, will, you know, some of those typical spots that you'd see in, you know, August and September, will they start to you know, will they start, will those fish start to push off because of that additional pressure? I mean, you're talking right now how there was 15 boats on a spot and it's not even like that late in, you know, it's not even like prime time, I guess I would say it's still relatively early for those fish to be going. So I'm just wondering how many guys are going to, 
how much time are you going to maybe even focus on spots that are off the beaten path a little bit? Well, a lot actually. Um, you know, it's, it's Fox and it's just the way I fish. I cannot be around people. I mean, when, when I'm fishing and literally we, I was there, Sarah was there. We literally were fishing and having a conversation from boat to boat. And I listen, I'd rather not catch fish than be in that scenario and how some of those guides over there can just grind the same stuff day in and day out. I, I can't do it. Uh, and maybe it's a big fault of mine and I'm sure it is because you know that there's big fish there. But to me, it, it's just not the way that I, I, you know, want to fish. So it forces me to go look at different things. And here's a prime example. I went over there, you know, like I said, having conversations with both, you know, and it was like, I got to get out of here. So I took the break down and I found weeds that I never knew were even there. And, uh, I fished it a little bit, but I've got it marked back. I only had a day to fish and I fished until two o'clock in the morning. So we did some night fishing and there was no one else out at night, but the night bite wasn't going. But what it does is it does force you, it forces me actually to go look at new spots and to explore a little bit more to get away from the crowd. And so I get it. I mean, I I have buddies and I won't name names, but I have buddies that if they know that there's a fish there, they have no problem staying right there for eight hours until that fish bites. I don't have that makeup to do that. Um, And maybe it's it's a big, and they, they do catch fish, but it's just probably a big negative for me, but I can't do it. I've got to be off on my own. That's a tough one, Mike. I mean... When guys sit on fish like that, it drives me nuts. There's no way I could do that. You know, it's probably one of my biggest hangups with doing tournaments. You know, a lot of times you get locked down into certain little areas. And I'm with you. I I would rather go experiment and and look for different stuff going on out on the body of water. Yeah, for sure. It's no doubt about it. But, and again, you know, it's, you know, the, the big thing with the Bay of Green Bay is they say that these secondary points aren't good because what makes two spots on the west side so unique is how far they stri- stretch out into the lake and then they're surrounded by deep water. I get it. But like we were talking just a little while ago, Jeff, with pressure, how many, you know, these, these fish, they're not dumb. Their brain may only be the size of a nickel. But the thing is, is that, you know, they're not going to want to get harassed like that either. So what is to say that they move off that structure or move down that break further? And I believe that they will. They, you know, they don't want to be, when you've got 15 boats overhead and just lures being bombed, two, three, four, I seen a boat with five guys in it. You know what I mean? And it was like, these fish aren't dumb. They're going to, they're going to get out of there. And so I think, you know, those secondary points can be very good. Follow the breakdown and, uh, you know, put your motor down and go explore it. And like I said, I just did that and I found gorgeous cabbage. So now I've got it marked and maybe later on this week, I'll pop over there and try to fish that. So, you know, it's again, it's what kind of style of fishing do you, do you like? And uh, I like to be off on my own. Well, pressure will definitely push fish to the secondary. 
you know, spot. So uh, you're right on, right on board there, Mike, that's for sure. I mean, if you look at any spots, like say a particular point that you, you've always loved on your lake, whatever it might be, an inside turn, a point, weeds, rocks, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. But people sit there and beat it up and beat it up and beat it up. And guess what? Those fish aren't going to deal with it. They're going to slide off. And if they slide off out in the open or do they slide down the structure where they're not being harassed? And I've definitely scored on a lot of those spots where they've just slid down a little bit further on the structure. You're going to score. So definitely something to think about. Yep. So one last question before we shift off of Green Bay, because not all of our listeners care at all about Green Bay. What's yeah, right, I get you. What's what's uh what's size structure been like out there? Obviously, there's the big fish, but I've been hearing there's a resurgence of smaller fish. Have you seen that when you're in your travels out there too? You know, we always like to see smaller fish. And my average, it was kind of weird because last week was the first week that I caught a fish under 40 inches. Otherwise, every fish that I've caught, and I've got like eight or nine of them, they all been over 40. I was running like a 46 inch average. So I've seen a lot of big fish. Brian, on the other hand, he's he's caught some smaller fish, and that that just tells you the diversity of you know, of that fishery. And it's always a good thing to see. So it it just, it's been weird. Like I said, last year, I was the one who caught all the small fish. So it goes back and forth, but yes, we have been seeing a good diversity of fish on the bodies of water. The, The fishery is very healthy. There's no doubt on the lakes that we've been very, very healthy. Yeah, that's good because I know there was those missing year classes or whatever out there, especially, and so it's good to hear hear that and see that because, I mean, obviously, like you said, everybody wants to catch big fish, and for a while, that's all you caught out there, but it's good to hear, hear guys catching those, you know, those 29s and 30s, so if I go out there, I should be able to catch at least a few of those. That's pretty much my specialty. Hey, they all smell the same. I'll take them, <laughs> so. That's a fact. So, Mike, you know, further into the season here, we finally got through the hot water time, and I think everybody out there right now has got fishable water again. You know, the temps have have cooled back down with some of these little cold fronts, tons of wind and rain definitely brought us back into fishing season. So, you know, what are you you kind of forecasting at this point? I think uh, things are going to start rocking. Our weed beds are really looking good, and um, definitely going to be – excited for the rest of the season yeah i agree with you brad it's again you know we shut down i literally didn't fish for three weeks and now things are changing in fact i'm sitting out on my back deck right now and i got rain coming in and it's a lot cooler and that's what we needed so i think it's it's gonna only get better from here and again like you said the weed growth has been very good this year on the lakes that i've been on and I think we're going to do good. I think that uh, blades are going to start turning on big time now. And I love a blade bite. There's no doubt. I mean, because you can cover water, you can work it fast. And again, speed, um, when the conditions are right, we all know what speed can do. So I, I think it's going to get good. I, I think that uh, we're going to have a great finish uh, midsection and finish to our season this year. I would agree with all that, Mike. I, I know, you know, our blade bite has actually been pretty good for for quite a while here already. But, uh, you know, it, it's been weird. We have a huge forage base right now. So 
when we have caught fish, they are giant fat fish. I mean, it's it's amazing how fat our fish are this year. But with a, a huge forage base like we're dealing with, it makes fishing a little bit tough. But when you put them in the boat, you definitely get excited because they're very, very fat. I'm just hoping that we see, like, a, you know how Mike earlier talked about how we kind of had more of a normal spring gradual warm-up. I'm hoping that we see that gradual cool down this fall because I know the last few falls, it's kind of just went off a cliff I, last, you know, fall or last fall for Halloween. I was taking my kids out with my, you know, my Sims winter gear on. And so I had to actually, you know, it was that cold already. I think the latest I was able to fish was probably the, I don't know, early part of November because of ice. So I'm hoping we see a gradual cool down because obviously that helps us, you know, make the season. And it seems to help this, the fall too, you know, you get those, a normal spring and a normal fall, which would seems super rare but those those both of those affect the fish it seems like if you get more stable more normal just that gradual drop it seems to make for really good fishing in the fall and i know all of us here speaking and i'm sure everybody listening is just waiting for you know september and october that's i mean those are the times of years that everybody wants to be on the water weather's nice fish are usually biting they're fat so i'm just hoping that we don't get cheated out of that on the way down yeah, I agree. I hear you for sure, Jeff. You know, one of the things that I can tell you this past Saturday being on the water, <laughs> it was brutal. Um, we had, I don't even know what the temps were, upper 80s, and the humidity was so high and it was dead flat. I mean, it didn't matter what you did. You were going to be soaking wet from sweat just uh, standing there casting or, or just watching. I mean, it was horrible. But... You know, fish are no different. I mean, you think about it, these big different temperature swings we've been getting, and it's been throughout the whole season so far. You know, it'll be hot for three, four, five days, and then it drops, you know, say 15 degrees or so. It's a huge change for us, let alone the fish. And fortunately, I mean, the the fish don't feel it quite as much as we do, I'm guessing, with, you know, three to five degree water temperature changes. You know, the interesting thing, even though the water wasn't at 80-degree water temp, it was pretty much just the, the surface, the top foot and a half, two feet of water. So I put a probe down a couple different times when I was out checking water temps, and it was shocking how big a difference and big a span there was between the surface and a foot and a half down. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, regular, nice, even flow of increase in temp, nice, even decrease in temp definitely makes a big difference and i think that uh everything's setting up to be just perfect actually i mean if you look at what's going on and you've been watching any of the forecast it's kind of evening out so i'm excited about it you know august can present some pretty big heat too but it's kind of crazy to think we're almost halfway through the season already i know that's why when jeff said that he can't wait till fall i'm i'm on the opposite end of that it's like the winters the older i get i want summer to last longer because we'll be freezing our our buns off here short you know in short time but um i think i think it's going to get good right now too um if we just get the stable weather and again referring to what you said brad about the cool down or the water a foot underneath i just did a bunch of uh snorkeling to shoot underwater bait fish on how they relate to to structure I, you know 
I've got a wetsuit and everything. And, and I would go down, like you said, probably two feet underneath the water and it was cold. I think where the big mystery on, you know, the 80 degree water surface temp thing, I don't think that it applies that much in shallow water because those fish are conditioned to that warm water. If they're using the weeds, I think it, it really shows itself is when you're doing the open water bite and you're bringing those fish up from that cold water and it shocks their system on that, that top half, um, where it's warm. So if you are going to, I won't, uh, cause I'd be crucified if somebody seen me fishing 80 degree water, uh, it's just the way it is. But if I were to fish 80 degree water, I would fish and, and I would concentrate those fish. I would concentrate my efforts on the shallower water where those fish are, they're adapted to that warmer water because oxygen levels don't change. I, I don't know, Mike. You know, I, I won't fish then either. It, it doesn't pay. If I see that water temp creep in the 79, I shut her down. You know, I, yep. 78, 79, you're pushing it, in my opinion. And there is a couple studies out there that I've seen where once that, that water gets to 80, um, I know of one particular study where 20 fish were caught during that time frame with 80 degree surface temps. And guess what? All 20 they they were gone. They deceased. So I don't know, you know, stress on a fish in that water. So definitely something to be considerate of. And I think most of the people I'm, I'm really impressed. It seemed like people shut it down. They really did. They, they did. I'm very impressed. Yes. And, and I agree with you, Brad, and the studies that I've looked at, you know, it's always been that way, but now there's some people that are saying that basically that uh, it's bringing them up from the cold, but, why even chance it? I mean, you know, that's our, our resource. That's our way of living. You know, it, it, my wife loved it because I got a bunch of stuff done around the house for those three weeks. Yeah. Surprisingly, my wife liked it too, because I got to actually box up some orders for her. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's always tough. You know, I mean, I, I'm always playing a balancing act. I know you are too, Mike. And so is Jeff, you know, we, we're busy and you're trying to fill in all the fishing time as well. And that whole balance of life can be challenging at different times. That's for sure. I love being on the water and I think it's important. So there's times, and I know you've seen it, Mike, when you've been over here, I'll get up extra early and try to help a little bit. And then we go fishing all day. And then I try to work at night a little bit. So we, we do what we got to do to be on the water. That's for sure. But, uh, no, you know, giving the fish a break is not a big deal. I mean, they're too important. You said it, you know, I mean, it's, it's how we make our living. And the last thing I want to do is chance any fish dying. So definitely exactly. a good point to take in. I know that there's a study coming out in West Virginia that they're doing right now about fish in hot water. I'm really anxious to see the results of that, how that turns out. Not that it'll, you know, 100% change. Who is doing the, this, yeah. I th- it's somebody with the uh, West Virginia. I'm assuming that's the DNR down there, and they're so they're literally going out and fishing for muskies during this hot water time, and then I think they're putting in radio transmitters in them, and then I think somebody oh. follows that fish. I think I heard for like a week to see, you know, where it is, what it's doing, whether or not it survives. So I'm anxious to see the results. Not that I, not that I feel like it'll change much of my fishing behavior. I'm just, 
it's more or less just to see, you know, cause we're all, we're all guessing what happens and, and how bad it is. It'd be nice to have a study that actually gives you, you know, real information. Right. And knowledge is power. And I think that all those studies, you know, serve their purpose and it can make an angler come to the right decision. There's no doubt about that. All right, Mike, let's, uh, let's talk about the month of August. You know, we're, we're going to be soon upon August. Some people consider it the dog days of musky fishing. You know, it's tough. The water's just stable. The fish are kind of maybe a little less inactive. And I don't know if I totally agree with all of that, but it's definitely something that, that's talked about quite often. What's your opinion of August, Mike, and, and kind of uh, how you challenge yourself to go out and hit it, hit it up on the water? Well, I think that, you know, you, there, there's certain fishermen that, uh, and I've seen it in a fish with people that are structure fishermen. If they're not throwing at a piece of structure, whether it be weeds or a bar or something, they just cannot fish. And I think in August, that open water bite can be really good too. So with us being blessed with, like I said earlier, technology a guy should be looking and like you said, Brad, you know, these fish, they'll, they'll slide in, they'll slide out They're You know, they don't hang. And I, and it, this sounds very simplistic the way that I say it, but it's the truth. They don't hang on a bar. Cause it's like, Hey, check out this bar, dude. This is like my crib. This is where I live. Their whole psyche, their whole makeup is food. And if you can, and that's why some of the best musky fishermen, that I know are really good pan fishermen. They are in tune with the bait. And if you can follow the bait and what the bait is doing, the muskies are going to be there. They're they're not going to lose um, sight of their food source. That's what they live for. They don't do things because they want to do things. They do things because they have to. And food is the driving force. And I think a lot of times that these fish will, will slide out into deeper water because that's where the crappies are, that's where the ciscos are, that's where the perch may go in bigger schools. We've seen it time and time again. And if those fish then move into the into the weeds, the the muskies will follow them. So I think that it can be slow, but I think it's just the way that guys are fishing. I think that it's hard sometimes to just go into you know twenty feet of water and just start throwing into the abyss. But if my side imaging is telling me that there's bait there, then I'm going to trust my electronics and I know that those muskies are there. Even though I may not be seeing marks, I just know that if there's big schools and pods of bait, that the muskies are are going to be relatively close to that bait. They're just going to follow it. And another thing, too, is using your electronics, it's where is the bait in that water column? And that's going to dictate what lure and what presentation we are going to throw. Meaning, I'm in 20 feet of water, and let's say uh, just off the bottom in 20 feet of water, we're marking a bunch of bait. Well, then I'm going to want a deep diving crankbait. I'm going to want to count baits down. I want to get that bait presentation into where that bait is. Um, I don't want to throw underneath it. I want to stay just above it. So I think a lot of times, too, and one of the things that we've done very well is counting baits down, even blades, is throw it out. And if I've got, if I've got uh, fish that are 15 feet down, 
I'll throw that bucktail out. I'll just let it drift down to where I believe that that thing is, is running down towards that bait and then starts the retrieve back. So I think it's being versatile and, and using that deep water and the structure as well. I think you just got to be a little more mobile in what you're doing and get off of, I have to be throwing at some type of structure where bait in itself is a structure. Hands down, I would believe I believe in that completely, and I definitely do that a lot in the open water. You know, your bait can be the structure, so I think you're right on. One of the biggest things that I could maybe add to it, Mike, is you can't fish memories. And when you're out there fishing a memory, oh, I caught this July 7th on this, blah, blah, blah. So you go there and you hit that. And if you're not seeing the fish there, you're going to have to make some changes. And I think uh, it kind of goes back to earlier conversation, when do you make a change? Well, bait can be part of that equation, that's for sure. So definitely paying attention to all the different details is going to help you score. I agree. I figured for sure that Kerry would have jumped in right there and said, hey, Jeff, did you hear him say that some of the best musky anglers are good pan fishermen? And then she would have, you know, went on some bluegill rant. I was waiting for that. I didn't hear it. Oh, I thought it. Trust me. Oh, I'm sure. I'm surprised you didn't text me. <laughs> what, it, what it comes down to, though, is what everybody says week after week after week is the best musky fishermen are multi-species fishermen. Well, that's probably why I'm yep. not that good. <laughs> Uh, maybe you should expand your horizons, Jeff. I probably should. <laughs> well, and it's one of my weaknesses because that's all I do is musky fish. But I also am a very visual dude. And if I'm out on the water and I see a bunch of uh, perch jerkers sitting in a corner somewhere and they're hammering perch, well, guess what? The minute they leave, this cat daddy is going over to where they were jerking those perch. Um, because again, it's, they're, it's all bait related. Um, they, you know, they're like sharks, they breed and they eat. That's what they do. You know, one of the things that I would say too, about the dog days is if you end up, you know, we get in that temperature where it's pretty even keeled and it's warm. When we first start getting those first cold nights, when things start dropping in temp, you definitely need to start paying attention. And I think a lot of times, I, I just look back at the Mille Lacs days. If you were to look at one or two nights of cold evenings, maybe the, the, the daytime temps are still the same, but guess what? Those fish will sometimes slide really shallow. And when they do that, a lot of times speed can be the key. So definitely something to think about. I know, Mike, you can relate to that. You've seen those days. And I, I see it on different bodies of water across the state of Minnesota, that's for sure. So one little more trick to put in your bag, if you will, when we start having some of those cool-down nights, definitely start looking to see if those fish have pushed shallow just to find that little bit warmer water. I agree with you, Brad. And, and you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because let's take a weed bed, for instance. There's actually three bites that can be had on that, that weed break the inside weed bread the inside weed edge and then there's where they're tucked right into the weeds and then there's the outside and all three of them should be fished um and especially like you said on when you get that cooler water and it starts to drop a little bit it could you know we always say a cold front is going to do two things it's either going to drive those fish super shallow or it's going to drive them deep 
So that's something that definitely is overlooked is that inside weed edge. You know, the neat thing, too, is it might not only be that weed side. You know, for myself, most of my bodies of water don't have much for rocks. But definitely the, the lakes that are out there that provide rocks, rocks hold heat. So one of the things to think about, too, and be considerate of is that as your temps start dropping, those rocks are going to retain the heat as well as if you've got high sun, those rocks are going to be the first things to warm up. And not only rocks, but sand can also be a, a factor into that whole equation as well. Well, and it's good that you mentioned that because one of the fish that I caught this year, it was early spring and it was cold and we were having that gradual warm up and we were fishing up by a dam. And one of the things that really stood out to me was the huge concrete wall that uh, went from the bottom all the way up and with the sun just pounding on it as the day went on, it got cooler. We got closer to that wall and literally I caught that uh, 47 and a half. Literally my, my lure landed, bounced off the concrete wall and I gave it one jerk and it was on. So that fish was actually tucked up laying against that concrete wall absorbing that heat crazy sometimes the little details that people either don't pay attention to or miss and then how you know how how important those can be sometimes to put fish in the boat right exactly i mean you know it's uh it's amazing and and brad's right on with that is you know if you're in a cold front situation and the the weather drops look for that, again, sand, um, you know, that heat source that uh, they're going to be seeking that warmer water. How many times do we say it, Brad, podcast-wise? Attention to detail. We have almost an entire podcast talking about attention to details. Absolutely, Jeff. You know, the detail is what's going to make the difference. And when it comes to to musky fishing, all the little pieces of detail are what's going to really put fish in your boat. So, you know, I don't know. Do you need to write them down? Are they stored in your memory banks? That's that's however it works best for you. Unfortunately, I never take the time to actually write stuff down. I probably should. I'm sure I, I lose out on a few things every year because I don't. But, you know, ultimately, if you're in tune with what's going on around you, you're going to score more fish. I used to write things down all the time. I used to be one of those guys that would write notes. I mean, I would literally log every time I went fishing and what the weather was like, where I fished, what I was throwing, speed, different, everything, whether I caught or didn't catch. The problem is that I had all the information. I just never would go back on it to do anything about it. I, I never would take the time to read it. So it was kind of like, what am I doing this for? I'd solved that problem. There's actually an app that I'm using right now. It's from a Minnesota company. It's called Lake Lab. And basically what it is, is um, you can literally just, when you have a follow or you a catch, um, you can go over and open up the app and just say record following voice-wise, and it locks down barometric pressure, it locks down wind direction, GPS coordinates, water temp, everything. And it's a log, and then you can go back later and say what lure you wanted, you can manually put that in. But um, it's actually a pretty cool app because I'm terrible at that, and it's so easy for me to just plug it, and uh, you know, and it's there. And then I can go back, and they're on the process. They're they're getting close to a thing that they call history, 
to where what it will do is once you accumulate all this data that it will actually do a prediction for you and that will be interesting to see if they they finalize that they're working on it right now to where it will build history for you and it will say hey you've got clear bluebird skies you've got no wind you've got this your records show that these are the lakes that have done best for you in these conditions again technology is crazy but uh it's been it's very simple and when they came to me with this app I said to him, I said, if I have to stop, and I'm, I'm sure all of us agree with this, uh, when they came with to me with the app at first, I said, no, I said, I've got hit with a hundred of these apps. I said, if I'm going to have to stop and log in what I'm doing, um, when that window is open, you might as well go take your app someplace else. I'm not going to do that. But with the voice activated, I put my phone right on my dash, and I say, open Lake Labs, and it blocks down everything instantly right there and i can continue to cast that's pretty cool that's super interesting can you incorporate photos with that as well you can and you can get even more details like i said if you but it's manual but the main thing that i was interested in is again being able to you know to fish and continue to fish but yet lock down that information hey we just had a follow lake labs open up follow boom and it locks everything down huh, that's pretty Does that cool lock down a gps point as well yep gps wind direction barometric pressure time uh water temp everything yeah that's super interesting i'll have to take a look at that yeah it's called lake lab and they still don't get me wrong i mean they they still have some things to work out but it's the best thing that i found because like i said i've been hit with these apps unbelievable and it's like dude do you realize what you're asking me to do i I just moved the fish which means they're moving that window is open i'm not going to sit there and pull out my phone and type in and stop casting i said you've got to have it voice activated or i'm not interested and lo and behold about three months later they came back and said like this and i could open it up with now it, it goes through google so Google will ask you permission to lock down your GPS and you just say yes, but it's all done by the voice. You can actually put the phone right in your pocket if you want. It, it's pretty cool. They're on cutting edge stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I think, Jeff, maybe you had talked about that a little bit, that we should maybe get them on at some point. Yeah, we've kicked around a lot of ideas on different people that we need to to get on. Unfortunately, it's, you know, it is, Brad. It's difficult to line up your schedule, my schedule, Carrie's schedule, and a guest. So sometimes, yeah, we got a lot, we got a lot of big plans and eventually they'll come together. I was just talking to my wife about this last night and we were setting stuff up. Like it's so much easier when we can do these during off season because the guides aren't on the water. A lot of the people that are associated with the industry, they're not on the water. You're not on the water. I'm not on the water, you know. Business is usually a little bit slower, not slow, but slower. So it makes it a lot, lot easier. But yeah, it would definitely be somebody that would be interested to have on and, and, uh, talk about the features and benefits to it. I mean, obviously Mike kind of laid it out for us there, but it'd be good firsthand. Cool. I mean, you, you can tap into it right now. You can open it up and it shows you, uh, moonrise. It has all the data right there. Moonset windows, a graph. And I've helped the, 
develop a lot of this with them because they'll call me up and I'm like, okay, here's an app that I really like. If you can incorporate this and that, then you've got something even a little bit better. But I, I think if, if they had input from guys like us to really fine tune this, it, it could be cutting edge. It is already with voice activated. That's how I was the only thing say. is it's a hard time with iPhone. Hmm. Interesting. Brad, that's not going to work out so well for you and I. Yeah, you know, I, that's weird that uh, that could be an issue, but I'm not a technical guy like that, so they'll get it ironed out, I'm sure, in time. I'm certain they will. So, Mike, we just want to thank you for taking some time out to uh, talk musky fishing with us for about an hour, kind of give us an insight on how your season's going and where where it's going to be going. For people that aren't aware of Keys Outdoors, which I'm sure it's few, but for anybody that's listening that doesn't know where they can find your stuff, you want to go through and let people know where they can where they can get in touch with you guys and where they can find your show and your YouTube channel and whatnot? Sure. It's just if they go to our website at Keys Outdoors, K-E-Y-E-S, outdoors.com, all the information's right there. Uh, you can just direct click right onto our YouTube channel and go in we we post all of the shows that we've done over the years yeah it's just i'm excited i've got some camping adventures coming up i'm going to be fishing some minnesota water in the next couple weeks uh up by uh bemidji where i haven't been up there in a long time so i'm kind of excited about that yeah it's uh you know listen you know we just do what we do and uh it's worked for us for 21 years and, uh, we don't have all the answers. There's so many guys out there that are, are such better fishermen than I'll ever be. But one of the things that we pride ourselves on is telling the story. And, uh, we all live and have the passion to musky fish and that's what keys outdoors is all about. So hopefully we can continue that and with the support of great sponsors, you know, that's something Jeff that, uh, you know, we are blessed. We work with the, the best companies in the world as far as musky fishing goes. Their products, their services, they work. And, um, you know, so it, it makes my job a lot easier when I'm um, using the right tools to get the job done. Yeah, I certainly would agree with, with that. Right tool definitely helps helps get the job done. For anybody that hasn't checked out Mike's show, it's worthwhile. Like I said, I mean, it's the reason we're we're involved with it is because it's like the only one that I'll spend time watching. Cause it, like you said, it tells the story. It's not always big fish, but you know, it's not, that's not musky fishing. That's not musky fishing in my world. It probably is in Brad's world. Cause he's a little bit better than me, but that's not my world. Like my world is we have struggles and ups and downs. I lose fish. We don't get every, you know, follow to convert. I don't put 50 inches in the boat every day. So that's what draws me to the show. The realism of it. You show it like it is. Well, thank you. I'm certain that there's a bunch of people that want to listen to all the, they want to watch all the camping shows. I get to hear about those the most. They like those little river camping adventures. So I'm, I'm, it's good to hear you have a couple more of those. I uh, bought a one man shelter and uh, this next shoot that I'll be on, I'll be sleeping on my boat. Boy, I'll tell you, you want to get a good night's sleep. Let uh, old mother nature rock you to bed at night. And I live for that stuff. That, you know, there's nothing better than me crawling out of that one man shelter 
when the sun is just coming up, I'm getting ready to musky fish. There's dew all over everything. And I get the old cowboy coffee going. Um, I'm in my zone then. That's what, that's, I don't know. My wife thinks it's super weird, uh, but it's what makes me tick. I love that adventure of it is, is being the whole thing is don't get me wrong. I love staying at a motel, but if I had my choice, um, I'll just pull up, drop anchor, four feet of water and pitch my tent on the front of my boat. And, uh, this cat daddy's down for the night. Hey Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about the quick trip video contest? Yeah. Yeah. We, we should mention that. One of our sponsors is quick trip and, uh, they've been just an awesome sponsor for us and it just makes perfect sense. I mean, no trip, no adventure of ours stops without supplies, without gas, without food, without ice. And Quick Trip has it all, and they've been very supportive in working with uh, us on the Quick Trip video clip contest. And basically what that is, is everybody, you know, with technology, tons of people are out, you know, with their GoPros catch, catching fish. You can send those fish to us at keysoutdoors.com, and uh, we have a link on our, our website where you can download your footage and be entered in to the contest. And the contest, though, has some rules to it, like every contest, is they have to be caught on a Mayhem product, an Innovation product, a Team Rhino product, um, or um, a uh, Phantom product. And those are the three companies that uh, we work with in this contest. Last year, we gave $2,700 away worth of product, and it was overwhelming. I mean, it was unbelievable on how many uh, participants we've had in that. So, again, it, it's just a great way to show people your catches and put it out there, and then people can vote on it to see, you know, who's going to be the winner. And um, it was pretty impressive. So we're going to continue that on. It's going right now. So get your GoPros out. Um strap them onto your head and uh, let the mayhem begin and uh, send us that footage and you can enter into um, winning a bunch of great products. Uh, gas card. Jeff gives away monthly a $50 um, gift certificate for Team Rhino Outdoors. Thank you, Jeff. And that's great. You can go and uh, participate and be part of that whole contest. So check it out. Go to Keys Outdoors and learn more about it. Well, Mike, thanks again for spending some time with us talking muskies. I hope you have a great end of your season. We'll catch up with you sometime this winter, I would assume, and kind of get a recap and talk a little bit about, you know, your shows coming up for the winter. But until then, we hope you have a great fall, end of summer, and then uh, just have a great season. And thanks again for coming out. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and uh, thanks for the support. And, uh, you know, I want to wish everybody out there a great year, and I hope that uh, – you guys end up catching the biggest fish of your life and sharing it with us. And, uh, that's what it's all about. We're a tight community. We all got to stick together. And, uh, our common goal is the muskie. That's for sure. Mike, um, always love hearing from you and, uh, looking forward to seeing what you produce the rest of the season. So, and I'm sure we're going to, at some point here, share the boat with each other. So thanks for coming out, Mike. It's always good. Thank you guys. 